Hey, this is Chris Caffrey from Spirits of Fire, Sabotage, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and you are listening to Iron City Rock, so crank it up. Yo, what's up? This is Frank Bello from Anthrax, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Turn it up! Hey, this is Phil Susan here, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. episode 495 of the iron city rocks podcast i'm your host john coming to you from the iron city of pittsburgh pennsylvania bringing the best rock hard rock heavy metal and blues talk on the net episode 495 we are joined by frank bellow of anthrax uh he's coming on to talk about a new ep he is releasing the day that this podcast is being recorded it's called then i'm gone it coincides with a book he did about a year ago, so we're going to talk to him about both of those endeavors. The day after I conducted this interview, uh, they announced uh, Anthrax would be returning to the road in 2023 with Black Label Society and Exodus. So uh, you can look for those shows. Unfortunately, not coming back to Pittsburgh. They were just here, so didn't expect to get them back quite that quickly. So you want to check out those tour dates on Anthrax website. Also joining on this podcast, Jeff played at the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Many of you remember him as the drummer of Metal Church, uh, a longtime guest of Iron City Rocks. I think we talk uh, pretty annually. Uh, Jeff and I do. He'll be coming in with the Trans-Siberian Orchestra to do a show on the 17th of December. Two shows, actually, at the arena. And then finally joining us, Phil Suzan of Last in Line. Uh, you might remember Phil uh, from his time with Ozzy Osbourne, uh, Billy Idol countless other bands uh he stepped in in about 2016 to take uh jimmy bain's place after jimmy passed away and last in line and they've got a new ep coming out in just a matter of days so without further ado we're going to play you the track then i'm gone from frank bella which is on the album ep that is available today so we'll do that we'll get into that interview with frank bella gentlemen my pleasure to welcome back to iron city rocks we have on the line frank bellow of anthrax how you doing frank i'm doing well man thanks how about you i am doing fantastic uh you are cool. set to release in just a few days then i'm gone the ep combined with an, uh, an abridged audio book of your of your release from last year um on vinyl so we wanted to get a chance to talk to you not only about you know a little bit about the book which is obviously a year plus old at this point and and yeah. uh, talk about that experience with Joel, but also the new music that you're dropping, which you know, frankly, we're, was very happy to hear. So let, let's cool. start with the music itself. These are 
I've had a chance to hear three of the songs thus far. I believe there's six on the EP. Were these songs you put together maybe during the pandemic when you guys were off the road, or when when did these songs kind of come to life? Well, the songs came right after the book. Um, I finished the book uh, with my co-writer, Joel, and, dude, you know, I went through, and if you've read, the people who've read the book, they know there's a lot of turmoil in my life and mm-hmm. a lot of therapy, and um, I thought I got, I thought I got rid of a lot of the angst and um, frustration in my life um, from from the therapy, to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. But bringing, you know, writing the book, man, it brought it brought back all these emotions that came back like, in a big way. And so after I finished the book, I still had this thing going. I'm like, my God, this is still here. It's still I haven't really closed that door. And you know, for me, it's always been about if I'm in a bad way, pick up a guitar, you know, mm-hmm. and write a song, play something, you know, get it out get it out of you and that's what i did and these songs just came out and just so you guys know uh for people listening the the ep has three songs that i wrote right after the book on the b side uh it's just music um that i did with some of the guys from the rare bird uh, and my publisher some of the musicians there it's just literally music so it's just music for behind it's like the background of of, of the voiceover pretty much so the the other so Side B is just music. It's kind of cool. It's completely different than what you've heard me do. Uh, it's just background kind of cool, atmospheric music. So the first three songs are like straight up hard rock songs that I've written after the book. And the, 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 the other three on the other side of the EP, um, it's just, it's like atmospheric music, atmospheric music behind the, the voiceover of the audiobook. So it came out really cool. I'm really proud of it. Um, this is a big step for me. Because um, I haven't done anything on my own mm-hmm. in, in a, like a real way like this. So uh, it's a limited edition thing, and that's cool. That's the way I like it. It's on this stuff, and it'll come out um, digitally also. But um, the vinyl is definitely a limited edition. So if you haven't gotten yours, go, go out and grab one if you could. It's on rarebirdlit.com. Uh, and you got to go to my Ethy Frank Bello. You can get it on that also uh, on my social media. Uh, but yeah, man, it's it's been a ride. The songs themselves were they um, when when you when you write do you do you go with I mean obviously some of these lyrics are, are pretty personal. You know, you listen to See Me Now, yeah. for example. Were these more I'd say almost more poems you set to music, or did you just set out to write a song? You're you maybe you know how did you approach that chicken and the egg kind of thing? To be honest, with like a song like "See Me Now," which is about abandonment, and like, look, and a lot of people since the book, and just so you know, I've, I and while we have an audience here, I want to thank everybody who's given me the great words of, um, of, of praise for this book. And what we didn't expect on this from this book is the amount of people that's helping. Mm-hmm. This book is actually we're hearing from a lot of people that this book have gone through abandonment and loss and stuff like that. Aside from the other, there's a lot of great rock and roll story books, uh, stories in the, in the book also, but people are coming and saying thank you because it made me see my loss or my, my abandonment issues in a different way mm-hmm. and how I went through therapy. And look, for me to hear that, for me to hear that I, you know, people read my book and they, they got help from themselves with therapy. Man, that's what it's about. It's not about the amount, of, we've sold a good amount of books. We're very, very happy with the amount of books we sold. It's not about the amount of books or whatever, or about money or anything like that. It's about like passing the torch. It's like, look, this helped me. Maybe it could help you. Mm-hmm. And then you go right into the songs. 
the songs came out from this. I I had this stuff inside my gut, and uh, I tell you, man, when the, when the music came to me, the lyrics were right on top of it. It came like a one-two punch. Uh, like this this riff fits this emotion of lyric that I had. Uh, See me now was talking completely about abandonment, how I felt, uh, and how I felt being alone. Like you, you know, my dad took off when I was ten years old. I'm going to make something out of my life. My whole point was, I'm going to make something out of my, my life. I'm going to say, if you could see me now, I made it out of there. It's literally a lyric in it. Uh, I found my way. It's, it's a lyric out of the song. So um, it's really about saying to my parents that abandoned, uh, it's like, look, I made it on my own, regardless of what you did. And if that could, if you, if anybody takes that and, and helps their own life out of it, man, that's what it's about. That's what music is, is supposed to do for me. It's like making, pass the message along and feel good about it, right? Right. And move on with your life. Frank, was there, was there somebody who kind of urged you to, to, you know, to take this step into writing, you know, the book itself? I mean, obviously that's, that's a huge personal step, you know, to share that level of your life with the world, you know, maybe even more so than a songwriter does. Was, was that something that took some encouragement or, or did you have second thoughts in that process? I always, I always had second thoughts, especially as I was writing the book with Joel. And Joel is the catalyst here. Joel MacGyver, is a friend, good, good longtime friend of mine, um, just a buddy who knows me probably than I, I know better than myself. But uh, at this point, especially after the book, but he knows my career and he knows the trials and tribulations. But when we started going deep, and look, when I started to talk about my brother's stuff that I thought mm-hmm. I put away uh, through therapy. That was some of the toughest times. And I sat, as I sit in this basement that I wrote the book in, I remember the times of having a bottle of um, vodka, or whiskey, whiskey, whatever the liquor that, of that day was, mm-hmm. just trying to get through that, numbing myself, because it was definitely hard. It was and there were a lot of tears, there was a box of tissues. And that was sometimes I thought, maybe I shouldn't share this. Maybe this has to just be buried along with my feelings when I, when I, after I did therapy. But after I finished the book, it was so cathartic, um, and I felt so good about just getting it all out. Um, and 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 the payoff, the payoff to this whole thing is people telling me that this book helped them mm. in their life. That is the absolute payoff because I did not, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. I didn't see it coming, but I wanted that to happen. I said maybe if I shared my emotions, maybe somebody else, one person. If this can make them feel better about what they're going through, then you've accomplished your job. I'm getting overwhelmed by the, the letters and, and emails I'm getting about this stuff and, and just comments. It's it's really and the reviews. The reviews have been great. So uh, I'm very fortunate. I feel very I'm very grateful. Um, and it it was all worthwhile. That's the way I feel about it right now. So to put out this music at this time, yeah, it's worth it because it's the other side it's, it's the other side through music this is how i deal with angst yeah. i deal with it through music i put it into music and you're hearing so this would be a continuation of that yeah and, and it's it, you know when you think about that you know in the in the early days of anybody's musical career i think all, all anybody wants to do is express themselves you know not many people at least you hope you know sit in their room and pick up an instrument and just dream of playing arenas you know they think you know i want to just express myself with music in its purest form so it's and it's good to hear you say after the fact, because that was going to be my next question, was, you know, was this a positive experience 
because some guys will write books and tell you once the dust is settled in the press junkets and all that stuff is, is over that no i would never do that again it was a horrible experience or i hated you know going through all that <laughs> but but it's great and, and and i think the one of the common threads is joel i mean his name has been involved with so many and he's co-authored so many books uh dave ellison's for example yeah, great um you know and, and you echo the exact same comments david had was you know these just awesome to work with and, and it's good to hear you you know a year later you know after you know a year publicly available that you don't have regrets or you know i, I shouldn't have shared that because i'm getting no ready. and that's that's wonderful. I, I just saw a joel and uh we, we had some beers he came to the show um in in london um we had a wonderful uk tour just recently and he came to in london and we shared some beers and we had some good laughs it was great to see him he, he came i had him on the side of the stage for the, the whole show he loved it uh He's, a, he's just a really good friend, a confidant. He's a confidant mm-hmm. that I I can trust. They, you know, and you know, I know he's written a lot of books. He helped David, and he's just he's just got that knack. And plus, I trust him. That's yeah. the most important thing. I could trust him um, with the knowledge. And and to be honest with with Joel's writing, when he when he helped me with this, he knows how to get the stories out of me. He just triggers. Uh, he'll break the dam. I, I call yeah. it. You know, he'll just say something, and all of a sudden. The story that you didn't know you had in the back of your mind that you stored in there forever was there. And for some reason, he said a word or a sentence that would trigger that, and it would just come out. And you're reading, the, the stories you're reading are the way they came out of my mouth. Joe always says that. It's the way I said them. Uh, and I'm really happy about that because it came from me. Uh, and Joe helped me to corral it. That's the way, best way I could put it. You corral these stories uh, because there were a lot of them. Uh, a lot of great rock and roll stories that it, to tell you the truth, I thought I stored away forever. I was so glad to relive them. Uh, once we started on, once it started to flow, it flowed, man. Uh, a lot of fun, drunken, stupid, hmm. growing up stuff that I love. And look, and the heartache of all the stuff that it dealt with too. So it's got something for everybody, um, which I'm really happy about. It's a well, I think I think it's a well-rounded book. This is a year later, I could say this. Yeah. With the paperback coming out in January, by the way. So I'm happy about that too. So uh, it's all good all around. So and I guess the one question that that's still in my mind on the EP because this is you know a, a big thing in this market anymore is how do you pick which color the vinyl comes out or does Rare Birds just kind of say hey we're going to do it in purple and you not in agreement? I can tell you this, and if anybody for anybody who's read my book, my grandmother Charlie Benanti's mom, Charlie from Anthrax, um, my grandmother was a, like a second mother to me. I'm very yeah. was very close to her. Her color was purple. And we kept that on our whole life. Uh, we, we continue, Charlie and I continued that whole purple thing. Uh, it, it, it was straight from my grandmother. And I'll be honest with you, that's where it came from. That's where I asked them to, for that. And uh, it's, it's a tribute to her. And uh, for what she did for me, because there would not be a Frank Bello from Anthrax or Charlie Benanti from Anthrax without uh, Tina Benanti. Uh, and she deserves that tribute. So everything I do, uh, although I love Prince, it has nothing to do with Prince. It's, it's really about my grandmother, who, who's always had that purple thing going, um, rest her soul, and that, it's a tribute to her. Oh, Frank, that, that is a much more beautiful story than I thought. You know, I assumed that there was, like, some market research, and you were taking a page out of Taylor Swift's arsenal and you know, <laughs> doing it three different colors <laughs> so everybody me, has to buy all the variants. No, dude, for me, it's, it's got to come from the gut and the heart, and that's, it's all about where you came from, and don't forget where you came from. 
That's why I think these songs strike people. It's it's because it's straight from the gut. There's no bullshit here. It's it's really, uh, I just let it let it all out, honestly. And I don't know any other way to be. I can't phone it in. I never was able to phone it in. It's got to come from a, a, a real place, and um, that's why I think a lot of people like these songs. I'm, I'm very yeah. happy to hear that. You guys just wrapped up in your nine to five job with Anthrax. You, you wrapped up at least the U.S. part of the, the 40th anniversary. Can you talk a little bit about uh, you know what that experience was like doing the you know the sort of career retrospect and the awesome you know video montage? How that was for you as you know a member of that and then looking back and saying we've done this for 40 years. <laughs> well, you said it right off the bat. 40 years. You said what? You got to back it up and say and say it again. What? Forty years because you 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 click your fingers and yeah. forty years went like that. That's what it feels like. I still remember getting in the band at seventeen years old, graduating, double up, doubling up my credits in, in high school, Lehman High School in the Bronx, because I got in this band called Anthrax and they were about to start touring. So I got in this special program to double up my credits so I can graduate six months early, which I did, and to get in the band to tour. That was felt. That feels like yesterday, and that was seventeen. Now we're talking. 40 years later, 41 now, forgot, we're in our 41st year. And you look, ups and downs, right? Peaks and valleys, mm-hmm. like in every other form of life. Um, but the one thing I am is grateful. And because, number one, I'm making a living, thankfully, from doing the thing that I love. And how many people can say that? So I'm very grateful. I'm, I'm humbled. And and I, I, I look, I can't believe you even say this after 40 years. Anthrax, the band, looks forward and toward the, the future yeah. uh, because we're hungrier now than ever. The fan base has grown to this great big fan base. It's turning over from our normal fans that, that enjoyed this journey with us and came on this journey with us. And there's a whole new flock of fans that have heard about the anthrax thing that are coming in. So the, the audience is actually growing and we've seen that, which is awesome. You can't be any more um, thankful and grateful for that. So look, uh, it's all good from here. Was it was the the video itself that they put together, you know, kind of before the encore? Yeah. Was that something you guys saw before it was complete? Were you, you know, just kind of saw it all in one shot when it was done? Well, we knew our friends, you know, and we knew who we wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. So we just kept throwing names in that, you know, over the years, like Keanu Reeves. Yeah. You're not gonna, you know, nobody you know he's an Anthrax fan, right? But. Uh, that's a, that's a really special thing. Keanu's a bass player. He's a great dude. He's an awesome musician. Um, just people like that. I mean, Rob Triello. There's, there's just so many people. You know, Rob Zombie. All these great people. Uh, you know, it's 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 it's, a, it's a, that was a story. What you saw there was a story of people who've been around with us, who've been friends and fans at the same time. So mm-hmm. and have their own amazing journey over there doing and it was just so cool to see that and that makes you think about when i met that but when i when i look at that video i say i remember oh i remember when he came to the show you know yeah. norman reedus i remember him coming us going to the set of walking dead and then bringing around him nick uh, greg nicotera bringing us around the whole set of i mean there's been so many great memories so when i see that video yeah everybody sees the star power of it all and i love that but what i see is man i remember the times we, the great times we've had with these people, you know, and I'm so grateful that they're fans. And that makes me reflect, man, this has been a great ride. 
Yeah, it really it, it was really nice to see that. Um, you know, is a a fan of the band and you know someone who's forty plus. We'll leave it at that. Um, watching that video, cool. you know, you can kind of think about all those different intersections and tour you guys have done, and and uh, it was kind of fun to see every once in a while, you know, somebody you didn't expect thrown in or the pop from the crowd, which I don't know if you guys would get to hear, um, you know. Of course. But it, you know, it was like, wow, that's really. You know, Carrie King comes up and the place kind of goes nuts. It was, it was very well done, and I thought a really nice, uh, a nice tribute to the band. Uh, I, I'll end with this. I saw over on Instagram, you posted a picture with Nick Castle. You know, could we have got him in the yeah. video? That would have just been perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the good thing about it is, um, it's Nick. Well, you know, it's funny because I'm a, I'm a diehard. You know. Mm-hmm. The good thing is we did have John Carpenter in it, so that's pretty cool too, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean that is. That's pretty cool. So, um, Nick, I, I never met him before. The other day, I met him on Saturday. Uh, my my friend Sean introduced me to him, which was great. And um, he, he's a, he's a really great dude. I mean, he was for me, he was still the best Michael Myers figure. Yeah, that's it. He had the movement, and he's still the most intimidating. He had it. He had it right. And um, people that write, I remember people writing me in, that's Nick Castle. I said, yeah, I thought he was bigger. No, dude, it, it, it's screen time. It's screen time. So you, you couldn't have been nicer. So I'm into all that stuff, all that horror stuff. I love, man. Yeah, love that, that. It, was, it was a cool pick to, to pull out on Halloween. And, and I think it, you, you met a lot of fans jealous of that one because it was like, yeah, that's really a cool cool hang there. So, Frank, I want to thank you well, so much. I mean, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Thank yeah, no, no, no. Thank you. I wanted to thank you for it. Yeah, I mean, for Nick, with Nick, just to, just um, and that and Nick, that's the kind of stuff that if I'm able to do it, I like sharing that stuff. So it's cool if I'm lucky enough to do it. Why, why not make people see the whole thing and, and live it with me? That's what, that's the only good thing I like about social media. To be honest with you, yeah. You know, um, I th- I think it's good. It's a good way of sharing your life with people. And I think if I'm fortunate enough to do this, why not carry people? with me on this journey you know i think yeah. i think it's important man to pay it forward you know yeah and i think that that's one of the things i think that it always kind of separated anthrax you know maybe from some other bands is almost the sense of community you get from the you know individual members of the band um you know all seem so genuine you know i think that's that's really kind of magnetizes fans to you guys so it's it's, it's really appreciated no, from the other end of the, of the lens so thank you I appreciate it. And it all comes back to, honestly, dude, it just comes back to don't forget where you came from. You yeah. know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just, it's honest. It's just obvious and honest. It's like fucking, you know, we're, we're all on this earth together. Not to sound like this crazy guru guy, but the truth of the matter is, well, you have this, you have a short amount of time on earth. Live each freaking moment, man, and, and enjoy it. And, and just don't forget where you came from. Be a human. Absolutely. That's a, that's a perfect sentiment. Well, then I'm going. We'll be available here shortly. We'll share the link on Rare Bird for it. And I want to thank you, Frank, and, and wish you all the best. And hopefully we'll see you out on the road before Thanks, too bro. long, man. I appreciate it, bro. You take care of yourself and stay warm. All right, again, then I'm gone from Frank Bellow. That's available now. We will include links in uh, the show description on ironcityrocks.com where you can order that. There's purple, purple splatter. Obviously, you can get it digitally, but that's, you know. That's not cool. Go get the purple vinyl of that or the purple splatter. We're going to turn our attention now to Jeff Plate. Jeff on the show, as I mentioned at the top of the program, almost annually, he's coming in to do two shows at the PPG Paints Arena December 17th. Their tour kicks off November 16th. 
Uh, this will be the Ghost of Christmas Eve, the best of the TSO and more. So we wanted to have a chat with Jeff. What's new this year? What can we expect? Obviously how the pandemic has kind of altered the way they do things. So we get into all that with Jeff. So we're going to play a little TSO. Talk to Mr. Jeff Plate. Welcome back to Iron City Rocks. We have on the line Mr. Jeff Plate of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great, John. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you back again. You're going to be rolling in to do two shows in Pittsburgh again this year on the 17th of December. Um, getting you before Christmas this year, where last year it was a couple days after Christmas, which will be cool. Um, you guys are doing the Ghost of Christmas Eve this year. Um, you know, looking back, when you guys did that, that kind of the, the movie for that or the, you know, the television special that still airs to this day on PBS pretty regularly 
Um, did you guys have kind of was that kind of a turning point in the band's career getting that exposure from that film? Um, yes, that was that was also the first year that we toured. So there was a lot going on in, sure. in 1999 when we when we did this. But but at that point we had already released Christmas Eve and Other Stories, which was our first release back in '96, mm-hmm. and, and the Christmas Attic. So both of those CDs had proven to be pretty popular and pretty successful, especially the first. Uh, Christmas Eve, Sarajevo 1224, that song had had become a holiday hit, it, it seems like, overnight. So by the time we got to doing this movie, we had two very strong records. And we basically, you know, the, the soundtrack for the movie is kind of a, a greatest hit of, of both of those records. Sure. But... At the at the time, we knew we had something musically that was obviously working, and and this show was just another step to to bring TSO to the masses, and and then like I mentioned, that that same year is the first year that we took TSO on the road, and you know, all, and here we are, twenty some years later, doing these Still. tours that sell out every year, and it seems to get bigger every year. Was it was the the video? I guess this is maybe a chicken and the egg kind of thing, but when you're preparing to tour with this material, did you guys have kind of from the very beginning, even as you're going in the studio and recording Christmas Eve and other stories, did you have this sort of theatrical show in mind with, you know, a narrator and, and, you know, the singers portraying characters so much? Was that kind of all part of the initial seed or did that kind of grow, you know, as, you know, the music evolved. Yeah, so that's an interesting question because because Paul O'Neill is the man that created the Trans Siberian Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Uh, we recorded Christmas Eve, Sarajevo, twelve twenty four in nineteen ninety five. But Paul had this vision of creating a TSO like project many years before that. I mean, I, I began working with Paul in nineteen ninety four. And he had already kind of planted the seeds for, for what would become TSO years before I ever met Paul. So, you know, Paul O'Neill's a New York City guy. He, he loved classic rock. He loved The Who and Pink Floyd and, you know, the big, the big rock show kind of thing. But he was also really into Broadway. He was into theater. He was into telling stories. And yeah, this, this whole idea had been kicking around in Paul's head for a long time. Christmas Eve, Sarajevo 1224 was the song that allowed Paul to create the Trans-Siberian Orchestra and then put all of these elements into play. And, you know, the live thing, when we, like I mentioned earlier, musically we knew we had something that was popular. Mm-hmm. But the live thing, with the story, with the narrator, with <laughs> with the holiday-themed music, and, and you know, et cetera, that really was just a huge question mark when we first went out. And I'm telling you, man, from the very first show that we played until now, it, it was just magic. So Paul O'Neill had this idea in his mind for a long time, and he brought it to life, he brought it to reality, and the thing is, it works, obviously. We've 20-plus uh, years later, you know, still doing these huge tours, Right. It's a huge success, and and these records are are some of the most popular holiday records ever. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of neat uh, to see, and, and I know as a fan myself, you know, you're still trying to find them all in vinyl, and, and you know, it, it's 
it's almost like you can't, you know, I'll pull out that DVD every year and, you know, we kind of dust it off because I don't play any other DVDs hardly, but you got to watch that DVD. Um, for, as a concept, though, when Paul kind of pitches to you, you were obviously in Sabotage, drummer, um, and, you know, have a, a pretty extensive career as a metal drummer. Did this kind of strike you as an odd concept when Paul kind of first pitched this, or, or did you guys kind of buy in right away? I mean, I, I can imagine, you know, someone coming to a band practice for, you know, <laughs> Anthrax and throwing out this idea, and you might get a couple, you know, odd looks. <laughs> Was it was it something he had to kind of sell you guys on, or, or were you guys pretty confident in the idea as well? Well, my position in this was I, I began working with Paul in 94, so mm-hmm. I was basically kind of new to the group. And when I joined Sabotage, you know, I remember them meeting them for the first time, and, you know, they said, hey, nice to meet you. Go home and learn everything. <laughs> so... All of a sudden, I'm digging into this catalog, and there was so much, sure, there was definitely some metal, but there were so many symphonic songs, these beautiful ballads, and, you know, a lot of emotion to all this. So I had a glimpse of what Paul was thinking before this, Mm -hmm. as as did the Sabotage audience. Now, when he went, uh, when we went into the studio to record Dead Murder Dead, which was the album that Christmas Eve Serialo first appeared on, you know, this was my first venture into the studio with Sabotage. So I'm still the new guy. You know, I'm kind of sitting at the back of the room watching and listening and, you know, doing what was asked of me. And But to the point of this Christmas song, all of us kind of looked at each other like, what is he thinking? <laughs> this yeah. just seems so strange. And there was no doubt when we heard the final version of the song that it was awesome like wow that that really sounds fantastic but nonetheless it was a christmas song in the in the middle of this concept record by this progressive heavy metal band so it did seem odd Mm -hmm. but i i honestly think that paul was the only guy in the room at the time who could see further down the road you know to, to what the possibilities were and when that song took off on radio that became the vehicle for him to do what we're doing now and you know the rest is history so to speak but but at first, it, it certainly was kind of an odd idea, and obviously now hindsight being twenty twenty, you go, oh yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> at the time, it was it was a little bit of a head scratcher. Yeah, I think back to you know where my musical tastes were, you know, and and probably a lot of people, you know, metal, you know, metal as is a term, I guess, was, was fighting some tough times in that period. You know, when you look at you know the explosion of you know even when gutter ballet and things like that. You know, that era, you know, metal was all over MTV, all over the radio. But fast forward to 1994 and you're kind of in the midst of a very different musical movement. And this kind of bucked mm-hmm. all trends and succeeded um, despite all that. And I think that makes it really, really interesting. As a drummer itself, you know, as a musician, does something like the TSO and even, you know, the work you did in Sabotage really kind of appeal to you because it allows you to play kind of big or, or or can you play big i guess or do you have to kind of because of so many instruments have to to temper what you play it it is fit my style perfectly you know when i when i was younger i mean i've, I've played everything from country to to wedding bands to <laughs> metal to rock to pop and you know all of the above 
but but the style of sabotage. You know, when I when I landed this gig, I really felt like I found a home. And this this kind of just led right into the TSO. And sure, Chinese Siberian Orchestra has a number of ballads, a number of uh, you know kind of mid tempo, really melodic holiday theme songs. But there's also that rock element to what we do too. And yeah. that just for me that just carried over from from my playing and sabotage right into TSO, and it, and it just seemed like a, a seamless transition. Yeah, I imagine the fact that you know. For, you mentioned like, it's got the rock elements. It's got you know it's sneaking metal in there, but it's not just two hours of blast beats. Um, you know you can you can kind of flex different <laughs> musical muscles, uh, so to speak. Um, this tour, obviously, you guys have, have toured on this material before. I mean, is there anything different this time around with the Ghost of Christmas Eve production-wise? People can look at them, and I guess they're always kind of pushing the envelope visually. Um, any surprises people can expect? Uh, well, sure. I mean, every, every year the, the show is different. I mean, regardless of how many times we've played a certain story or presented a certain story, you know, we always add a little something different to the intro of the show. We always add something a little bit different to the back half of the show. Mm-hmm. And that's just musically. But production-wise... There's always something different. I mean, the show looks different every year. And, you know, and this is also by design. When when Paul created TSO and created this live element to TSO, he realized that people are going to come see us every year. He wants to give them a different show every year. Mm-hmm. He could have he could have just packed up, you know, the previous tour and then brought it out the next year and it would still be great. But he was never going to do that. So every year we've, we've got some different lighting schemes, some different production gags, uh, different video. So the show visually always looks a little bit different. Now, when you've seen TSO, you know what TSO is. You know, mm-hmm. we, we have just this amazing light show with all this production. There's production, you know, from one end of the arena to the other. But that is, that is just something that Paul insisted on every year was to bring something different to the audience. And, and this is why people come back every year. They, they love seeing something new. And, and to be honest with you, I, I am just as surprised at the show as anybody because I've, I made a decision years ago that I don't even want to know what the show is going to look like. I want to wait yeah. till it's built. I want to stand in the room and look at it and go, wow, you know, they've done it again. So it's always something pretty cool. From a musician standpoint, is the first half of the show more enjoyable than the second half because it's got some breaks in it for the narrator to give you give the forearms a rest and the calves, or or is it do you enjoy the kind of the rigor of the second half of the show? You know, they're both they're both enjoyable. I mean, I don't just mean mean to be flip when I say that, but but the story part of the show is really what has brought people into the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, I've always felt that Paul's lyrics and Paul's story was the glue that really held this thing together from the beginning. And that's where people started spreading the word like, you know, wow, this is not only a cool show, but it has such a great meaning behind it. I can bring my children. I can bring my grandparents. I can bring everybody in between and they're all going to like what we're doing. Um, it does help to have a little bit of a break with the narration yeah. and stuff, 
uh, it, it helps it helps me get through these these double show days. But you know, regardless, I, I think the audience reaction to everything we do from front to back is is just so positive, and it's it's so cool. It's just such of an injection of adrenaline every time we get on stage. It's it's really great. Yeah, it is. And, and, and the one thing I've noticed with you guys that that you don't see any, any band outside of maybe a club is the interaction between songs. Um, you're not even on mic, but you know, Chris will be literally talking to people in the crowd, um, you know, kind of during the show. And that's you know, with that scale of production, you kind of think of these things as sort of almost like the show's going to move on whether the instrumentalists are ready or not because of the production and things. But you know, it has mm-hmm. a sense of of looseness to it that you really don't expect, um, which is kind of neat. Um, well. Jeff, well it is every every note is planned out, but sure. it does have an organic feel to it at the same time, like you just mentioned. And that, hey, I think that's the appeal to what we do. You know, we, yeah. our, our band is very fan friendly, and we honestly just love performing together and being in front of the crowd. And I, I think that really shows. I have to ask because I've seen this on the the message, you know, the, the fan club type things on Facebook. Do you guys anticipate being able to meet with the audience on this tour, or is COVID still making that a, a, too big of a risk? <laughs> I would say COVID is, is still a factor. I sure. mean, I can speak to this personally. I, I just got COVID two weeks ago. So it is still out there. Sure. And it was not fun. So I think in, in terms of protecting the band, we have to be very careful about being too loose with that. I, I do understand that over the years, this has been part of our appeal. Mm-hmm. We've always done autograph lines after the night shows. We've, we've always done meet and greets. And I think this is something that, you know, people can go through the, have been able to come through the autograph line and see you face to face and shake your hand and thank you personally. And, and that really means a lot. But I still think there's, there's so much risk involved in that, that, uh, you know, I'm not exactly sure right now, to be honest with you, what, what management has decided. But I, I would say, you know, error on the side of safety that we will probably be, be very careful about this. Yeah, I, and I don't think anyone could fault you guys because, you know, you, you meet somebody in Pittsburgh, shake their hand, and then you're sick for Toledo. That's a giant monkey wrench. So I certainly understand. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, the wheels could come off quite easily, you know, if, if you know, and I'm sure you guys... You know, when you're traveling from show to show, you're not each taking your own bus. So you're, you're not in bubbles to keep no. each other from getting sick. So it certainly makes sense. So, Jeff, I want to thank you so yep. much. I, I know you've got a million things to do in preparation for this, and, and we can't wait to see you guys in now what will be just a little over two months here in Pittsburgh. Very good, John. Thanks for having me. Great talking. All right, again, December 17th, PPG Paints Arena, two shows with the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Tickets available now, but uh, if you want good seats, you better get moving on that. Those are usually packed houses, so you want to get those while you still can. Finally on the show, we're going to welcome back to the show Mr. Phil Suzanne, bass player who's played with the likes of Ozzy Osbourne, Billy Idol, Beggars and Thieves. Uh, 2016, he took uh, Jimmy Bain's slot in last in line after Jimmy passed away, sadly. The band that was kind of an offshoot of the band that did the last in line album with Dio. Uh, they released their second album, which was entitled Two, in 2019, right before the whole pandemic uh, started. They put that album out, and then, bang, the world shut down. So we didn't get a chance to see this band live 
after that. So they're able to be get back out on the road, and they have also got a new EP, which will be available November 11th. It's got um, the single uh, Day in the Life, which is cover the Beatles song, Hurricane Orla, which is another new song from their forthcoming album, which we also talk about in this interview, and then two live songs, Devil and Me and Give Up the Ghost. So we're going to play you a little bit of Last in Line. We'll get into that interview with Phil Suzon. Wide eyes open, black-eyed truth How'd I end up here with everything to lose Welcome back to Iron City Rocks. We have Phil Suzon on the line. How are you doing, Phil? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. been a big fan of yours since, as I said off, off air, uh, since I picked up the Ultimate Sin many, 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 many moons ago. Um, so it's a pleasure to, to talk to you. I've enjoyed your work. Um, and, and was excited. Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, and they throw in some Billy Idol and 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 stuff for good measure. But uh was thrilled to see, you know, obviously it was unfortunate Jimmy's passing, but to see you get the nod at that was tremendous. And you guys, you know, your work on the 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 two album, uh, fantastic, great songs, but in hindsight, horrible timing for a release of an album. Unfortunately, you guys put that out, and then I think the world shut down. Like was it the next month or early in the same month, it seemed like the world, yeah, kind of closed in on you guys. So, um, I asked myself if that was a, a as a result of the response to getting <laughs> the album out. I don't know. Maybe. This made, made everybody just decided either this is too good. We're going to stay inside for the next eight months and listen to it nonstop. Or it's 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 so bad that we're going to force everybody to stay inside and listen to it. So. <laughs> no, I, I, you guys have made tremendous music, um, and you're going to be coming into Pittsburgh to do a show on the 13th. Going to be playing Jurgles, which is a, a fantastic venue. Yeah. Um, was when you came out of, out of the pandemic? Obviously, you guys had this album that you had already released and didn't really get a chance to promote. And then, you know, Vivian's day job, I'm sure makes scheduling touring difficult for the rest of you. Maybe I'm wrong on that, or I'm sure you all have a million irons in the fire, but his, I imagine there's not a lot of wiggle room when, when he gets the nod to go on the road with Def Leppard. So was this, you know, just try to slot this in when you can. And, and how did the recording of the new, you've got a new single out, well, coming out on the 11th, uh, the cover of the day in the life. How do you kind of squeeze all that in? Well, um, there are a lot of factors into what you uh, were just describing. Um, um, 2020 was shaping up to be a very heavy touring year for Last mm -hmm. in Line. And we had a lot of festivals booked in Europe. We had a lot of stuff booked in America. And we would were going out to promote the two album to uh, uh you know hopefully to to the full extent that we could mm -hmm. and as you correctly said all of a sudden this pandemic happened and and that was the end of that um the second part of that is you know viv's what we call viv's day job which is um uh, I, I think from day one of last in line everyone has been uh, cognizant of the challenges that that would present um, so it's a sort of an unspoken, it's a given that we have to play peekaboo around the kind of Def Leppard schedule as sure. when that happens to come up. But we accept that. Um, you know, there's there's definitely a, a looking for the silver 
silver lining in the cloud, I mean, we do get a lot of positive benefits from the Def Leppard affiliation sure. that Vivian has. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. Um, I think he, he, you know, he gets a tremendous amount of publicity doing that, and some of that does spill over for us, and it, and it helps us. It elevates us a little bit. It gives us a little bit of a uh, wind in the back of our sails. So, you know, there's two ways of looking at everything. One is the uh, glass half full, and one is the glass half empty, and we um, would elect to look at it as a, from a positive standpoint. So that's a trade-off. Was the 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 e well, I don't know if you call it an EP with the four song the day in the life and you've got another new song and then two live songs, the two new songs were they things you had from the recording of two or were these sort of um, some file sharing that you were able to do during the pandemic when everybody was kind of stuck with nothing to do or how did those songs take shape? Well, we knew we were going to have to do a new record and we have to take full advantage of the opportunities that we have when we're in the same place um, at any moment in time because we know how uh, difficult it is to schedule these things due to the reasons that we spoke about earlier. So at the beginning of 2020, I'm sure everybody remembers it, I don't mm -hmm. think the pandemic really kicked in until about March, wasn't it? End of February. Yeah, somewhere in the March time frame, at least in the States. So we were in L.A. and we said, look, we're going to have a few days in L.A. Why don't we book us to go out to the steakhouse, which is a studio out there that we use. Um, and let's just start putting down some ideas for a new album. And the idea was to go in there and maybe cut a song or two. We had a couple of riffs. Let's cut them. And, you know, luck would have it. We get in there and we end up cutting, I think, six tracks. And we thought, oh, this is great. We've cut six tracks. We're, all, we're well on our way to having material for the, uh, the next album, and that's exactly when everything got shut down. So the good news is we had six tracks, and we right. had some time, so we were able to work on those six tracks. The bad news was that we only had six tracks, right. and we weren't going to be able to get together and do the other six tracks until whenever, whatever happened. So obviously it was a little premature to release an album, and we had the idea of, well, maybe we should do something in the, in the interim. What can we do in the, me in the meantime? Right. And I had this, I had this idea for quite a long time of wanting to do a cover song. I brought it to the guys. We had debates about it. We thought about different songs, and it never really got much traction. And then I wanted to. Eventually, I thought about doing a, doing a cover of this song, uh, "Day in the Life." Um, I thought it was something I was going to do. To be honest with you, I thought. Um, Andrew and I had talked about it and thought we would do it. it. It still wasn't exactly, you know, not everyone was convinced that that was exactly the right thing to do. But they said, well, why don't we sort of play around with it and see what happens. I did a, I worked in my studio here and I put together a, a roadmap of the song and said, look, this is kind of how I hear it. And I did some stuff to it and some arrangements, sent it out. And then everyone started to get very uh, excited about it. And we ended up recording that track. We all sent in our parts to, to hear, and then I put it all together. Andrew sang in my studio, and we, we, we got the whole thing nailed down. Uh, and from there, our label had the idea of doing an EP. And so, well, why don't we release this as an EP? Because you've got, you don't have a whole album yet. So if we could do this, we could put some new material on there. If you could finish one of the, the new songs, we'll include that. We'll add a couple of live cuts. And at least this is something that we can put out there and give it to our our fans and have so they can have a listen and see the direction in which it's going 
And also, for me, and certainly just, just speaking for me, it's very gratifying to be able to do um, uh, justice to a song like A Day in the Life. I was a huge Beatles fan. Sure. And there are, I mean, any Beatles song, as far as I'm concerned, is almost sacrilegious to touch. You've got to be very careful because you have to do it justice. You, the last thing you want to do is have people turn around and find, take offense that you've done something and, and right. how can I put it, butchered it, you know, or, or done something bad. So we sent the song out to lots of people whose opinions we respected. And what came back was very, very positive. And then, then we started to get excited because we, we thought we'd done justice to the song. And also we'd made it our own. We managed to interject the kind of sound that, that we have. So that's kind of what happened while we were sitting around. We did other things too. We had like a online TV show, a comp, like a little chat show that we were doing. And, and that was turned out to be very popular. We put out a video that we created for a, a acoustic version of one of our songs on two. And that was very well received. Um, we did the last line acoustic video, it's called. You can, you can find that on YouTube. It's definitely a, and it's something we put together out of B-roll footage that we had from our previous touring and it shows what you're able to do with this stock footage that you accumulate and actually turn it into a great product. Um, and we put it out as a gift for our fans. We said, hey, it was Christmas time. Here's something for you guys, you know, dedicated to you. So that was nice. Yeah, it, it's it's fun to see some of the stuff now that are the kind of fruits of, of musicians who don't otherwise have the time to do some of the, those things. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's always a list in, in every musician's mind. I, I, you know, I'd love to do this. I'd like to try to tackle this. But, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to, you know, produce and work and, you know, do your shows and things. So it's, sometimes it's neat to see what, when people were forced to have that downtime, some of the things that, that took took legs during that. Um, the, the, the second track on the EP, Hurricane Orla, was that a song that, was part of those six that you mentioned that you guys yes. had in 2020? Exactly right. And that was a song, we you know, we started finishing these songs because we had the the backing tracks done. We mm -hmm. had most of the guitars done. We had to do solos. We had to do vocals. We had to do, um, you know, I typically tend to go in and uh, want to redo basses if I'm not 100% happy with mm -hmm. the bass sound that I've got. Um, and so... Uh, this was a, a luxury that was seldom afforded to me to be able to go and really, really spend time dialing in bass sounds and yeah. getting a sound I was really happy with. As a bass player, I'm, I'll share with your audience that, uh, you know, you, they'll always spend hours and hours, weeks getting drum sounds. And then, you know, guitar players have their own, you know, bag of tricks that they want to bring in their amplifiers and different guitars. And, and usually a bass player, it's like, uh, plug that in. Oh, yeah, that, that works. Yeah, That'll do you get a direct inbox and <laughs> just, which is probably why a lot, so many bass players become producers because they say ah you know what i've had enough of this nonsense i want to be in charge of being able to spend some time getting a decent bass sound so this was a luxury luxury that was afforded to us and we were able to finish um to completion most of those six songs and um, this was one that we felt quite strongly about uh, i i love this i love the track i love what we did with it Andrew and I really worked hard on background vocals and coming up with some really cool background vocal tech arrangements and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it really takes it into a, a, a full production which doesn't sound overproduced. And I, that's what I love about it. So that was a great candidate to put on the EP. Did you work with um, a producer? Did you produce this? I know in the past you've worked with Jeff Pilson. 
has worked with the band. It was just something you did. Yeah, I mean, we produced it together. When we went into the studio, we worked with our engineer, Chris Collier, mm-hmm. and he got our sounds. And, the, you know, the five of us basically went through these these songs and these ideas and recorded them. And, and we talk amongst ourselves of what we liked, what we thought needed improvement, what we thought, uh, where we thought we'd hit, you know, hit the mark. Um, and then as we've come away from it, we've done what we have to do. Um, so it is definitely a self-produced or a band-produced album, mm-hmm. uh, and we're always in touch with Chris. So at the end, Chris, you know, who lives around the corner from me here, um, you know, mixed the mixed the record and mixed those tracks. So we would work on our on our own and say, okay, here's here's uh, some guitar parts, here's some bass things, here's some vocal ideas, here's some overdubs. I usually add some keyboards, but more more textures than than real keyboards. It's not like keyboard parts. Um, and um and then chris mixes it mm-hmm. so it's a self-produced it's a, you know produced by last in line is there a point in in the band obviously with the name last in line and the, you know the kind of the nucleus that formed this band and, and just the number of, of dio songs that you still perform live that does that take into account when you guys are making new material kind of a a, a what would Dio do kind of, of mentality or is, are you guys kind of beyond that point now, you know, having, you know, 2.5, we'll call it albums in the bag that, that the band kind of has its own sound at this point. Yeah. I think it it's not what would Dio do because what Dio would do is that they would work with Vivian, Benny and Jimmy. Mm-hmm. That's what Dio would have done. And so we have um, two of those components already here. Right. And what we do is we use the exact same methodology in how to write the songs and put the songs together. So, you know, for me, I came in and I got it all wrong. I yeah. said, okay, we're going to get together and we're going to work some stuff. And here, I've got a whole bunch of his, my, my device and I've got a whole bunch of ideas that I've put down. And I've got some things and I have some ideas we can work on. We can jam on these. And Viv said, oh, hold on a second. That's not how we do it. And I said, well, how do we do it? He said, well, you come in with nothing. And what we do is we sit in the room and we start coming up with ideas all together and we develop them as we come up with them. If we have a riff we like, we work on it. If we have something we don't like, we move on to something else. And I said, well, that's very organic. Uh, in fact, it's very rare that people do, yeah. people work like that anymore. And he said, well, that's how we did it. That's how we've always done it. That's the, 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 the methodology to it. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how two happened. And for me, it was incredibly refreshing to be able to work in that kind of, in that way with people, yeah. just to have fun and just to sit there and bang around ideas and, and, and really just experiment and see what sounds good. And the, I, I got to tell you the, the stranger thing, uh, strangest things happen because you'll end up with a, a, an idea that you think, ah, this isn't going to work. And then somebody will say, well, hang on a second, hold on, give that a chance. Let's, let's, let's work on this for a little bit and you'll work on it. And eventually it'll turn into something and you might have dismissed it completely were it not for the fact that somebody else has a slightly different perspective on it. That's the beauty yeah. of working collaboratively is everyone has a different perspective and uh, creates something that's greater than the sum of the parts. Yeah, that it is amazing to see how two musicians can sometimes get together and, and really come up with, you know, instead of a one plus one equals two, you get a one plus one equals three sort of outcome from it. Does the... Does the fact that you you all have schedules outside of this 
but right in that collaborative way. I mean, is that a, a kind of a delicate balance of, you know, we have X number of days to be, you know, co-located together to write, or, or is that, is that ever an issue for you guys? You guys, I mean, all, you're all obviously many, many years of, of experience under your belt and songwriting, et cetera, that that isn't really a pressure for you guys. Well, there is always a little bit of a pressure, but going back to what we were talking about earlier, we had plenty of time during the pandemic, but the one thing that we did not have during the pandemic was a, a, a deadline. Mm -hmm. There was no deadline. There was no, you've got to be done by this time. And the effect of that was that there was no motivation to complete anything. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you felt the same way, but yeah, things that I wanted to do. And then all of a sudden, given tons and tons of endless free time, I had no desire to finish a lot of those things or even to do them. And that was difficult. So I work best with a deadline. And, you know, I tend to do most of my best work. This is me personally speaking. I tend to do most of my best work, you know, 10 minutes before a deadline. Yeah. Before it's due. That's really where I'm most focused. I know I have to be done. And I'm, and I'm not distracted by anything else. So that, you know, when you put that into it, um, uh, it's, it's, that, that's really the motivating factor. So if we have six days where we have to get together and do something, we're going to do something and we're going to complete it within six days. And somehow it prepares you, it puts you in a good frame of mind. Good mindset. To be creative. That's fascinating. You, when you think about a creative process, you, you know, it's, it's not like doing your taxes where, you know, you have a deadline and, and it's X number of hours to do well, it. That, that's pretty you know. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean though? It, it's almost the exact opposite though. I mean, cause you're, you're, you're coming up with, let's say a riff. I mean, people can noodle around on a guitar or piano or whatever and, and never come up with a good riff or it may take three days versus 10 minutes. You know, you hear of these you know, lightning in a bottle songs that can come out in, in two hours or look at, you know, the Beatles who could put together three albums in a day. Um, they were so prolific, but, you know, it, it, trying to schedule creativity is always something I think I marvel at. You know, you'll see artists that say, you know, well, I have, I have six weeks scheduled in April of 2025 to do an album, you know, and that's interesting. You know, if you don't write in advance to think, wow, you're going to go in there and, kind of schedule creativity, but I guess you, you know, with the experience you guys have again, as songwriters, you know, it's probably easier for you guys than, you know, mortals, I guess. Well, I don't know if we're, you know, uh, mere mortals or, or superheroes or anything. I mean, I think we're just pretty ordinary. And at least I think that, that, that I am and mm -hmm. things that I'm usually fall victim to are, or a lack of focus. I mean, when you're being creative, I, it, it does require enough focus to be able to identify something that's 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 got that's got something about it. That that, that mm -hmm. focus in on something that has some I don't know for want of a better word a hook or a charm or whatever. Right. Say, and then to develop it, it's so it's 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 the hardest thing about being creative is to be focused. Sure. You know, there's so many distractions and these days it's even worse. I mean, there's this thing that keeps pinging every 10 seconds, Yeah. you know, and, uh, it, it pings and then it rings and then, and then there's beeps and you've got texts and you've got emails and, and, you know, you start to think at one point, what part of, I can't make it to the phone. Do you not understand? You know, yeah. it's, it's, it, it requires in immediate attention. 
this world requires immediate attention. I called you, where were you? You need to do this, you need to click on that, press this button. Do it. It's, it's very, very difficult to break away from this and to focus and say, hey, you know, I, I need to isolate what I've got, develop it, turn it into an idea, turn it into something that's tangible and that works. And that, that's deadlines thing. I mean, if you do have to do an album at the end of next March for one week, the end of next March for one week, I'm shutting everything off. Yeah. I'm not available. I can't be available. Um, and that's going to have to, fo you know, have me, fo I can't leave this room until it's done. And, and there is a, there is a focus to that. There is a, something that helps with creativity. Um, it, distraction is the worst. It's, it's the toughest thing to deal with. Yeah. I imagine phones, certainly the worst of the worst. Um, it's, it's across the board. I mean, one time years and years ago, I said, Oh, what a great, what, what, you know, I'm out on the road. I'm going to be on a tour bus for hours. I should put a little studio briefcase and take it on the road. And I built this, this tiny little multi-track cassette studio, which I took on the road and never opened the damn thing for about six months. So, you know, you just, you, you're, there's so much stuff going on that there's no way you could sit down and start being creative. And, yeah. It, it always marvels when, when you look at a musician's day on the road, you know, to have that kind of time and, and, and time alone, you know, you, you're not doing interviews. You're not, you know, trying to find your luggage, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, Phil, the, the, I guess the obvious question would be, you know, with the EP is, and knowing that you've got five more songs, at least in the bag, when we might see, for lack of a better word, three, you know, the third album. Well, I have some news for you. What happened is that as soon as we were able to get together, everybody descended en masse to hear where we are. I'm in mm -hmm. Las Vegas. We came down here and we booked a studio and we did that. We went in and said, we got to write the rest of this album. And in, in the space of about three days, we wrote the remaining songs. Um, we finished them the same way that we finished the first ones uh, and um, mixed the whole album and I mastered it and it's, on, it's in the can. We actually oh. delivered it already. It was delivered um, at the end of July for, I'm hoping, a March 30th release. So awesome. It's done. It's done. And awesome. it's really good. <laughs> That that's a will now. Will you use like will Hurricane Orloff, for example, be on that album then, or will it? Okay, so that's cool. Hurricane Orloff is on the on the, on the album. Um, a Day in the Life is not on the album. That's that's really the only place people could buy that is on the, the EP. On the EP. Uh, but um, yeah, we wanted to keep those two things separate. The EP was really, you know, something slightly different, and then sure. the album. So we've actually got a a continuous. Uh, flow of uh of i hate to use an industrial word like product but right you know, sure. product. <laughs> it, it's it's the music business i mean in all honesty it's it's you know there's no well, we've got a landmark piece of art piece of you know work of art um album which we're very proud of and, and uh, that does sound better than product you're right yeah. i give you that well, Phil, I want to thank you so much. You, you're, again, you're coming on the 13th here to the Pittsburgh area to do a yeah. show. Will we hear any anything from the EP, or will you guys add a day in the life to the set? Yeah, we do. <laughs> this, is, this is really funny. Um, we are, we are, we we just started at uh, playing Hur uh, Hurricane Orla in the set. Okay. Um, day in the life is actually quite tricky for us to play. It's 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 quite an intricate arrangement. And we haven't been able to sit to have a 
you know, meet in the same place for a rehearsal. So our rehearsals have been sound checks. So we've sort of almost got it there. We've been sound checking it, and it's it's pretty darn close. So it's it's my hope that we that we were able to put it in the the next shows onwards. But people want to hear it. People love the song. It's been very very well received, and um, very grateful for that. So yeah. thank you guys. And we're hoping to uh, be able to reciprocate that in doing it justice and playing it for you guys. So yeah, when you when you mention the harmonies, that's always the tricky thing. If you get uh, too creative and, and and you know you've only got four bodies on stage to do some of that stuff, so it's sometimes it's unenvi and enviable to try to reproduce some of those things. But well, uh, Andrew and I both try to we we'll focus on when it comes down to harmonies. What are the what are the most important mm -hmm. harmonies there? And it's just the two of us. And we'll try to figure, you know, replicate stuff which is not redundant, meaning to say those notes are not covered by one of guitar, uh, one of Viv's guitar parts, or yeah. So that way we can sort of, uh, you know, ex execute a live version of our recorded product, which I'm I'm fine with. I, I I don't have a problem with live tracks sounding slightly different from their recorded counterparts. That's the charm of the live show. You know, you get to, you know, you get certain tracks which have a slight difference or a different nuance or a different uh, a different spin so that's I, always cool too you know it is and i'll be honest with you anymore and, and um, there's other venues for hashing out tracks live but um is a, is a fan i would rather hear even if it's not spot on perfect people really singing it give me the humans even if it's not you know the record because frankly if you want to hear the record exactly as it is you could just listen to the record um you know my my e reason for coming to the show is to hear you know musicians that i appreciate do songs that i love but it, if it sounds exactly the same uh, that's that's inconsequential you know i want to see what you guys do so I, you know from this fan you know i i don't need perfection and i don't think a lot of people do i think they appreciate that you know and you know, one day, uh, sometimes down the road, you know, there's been times when, you know, I've loved albums, and then I've there's been a band that has released a live album, and mm -hmm. I've liked that live album to have some differences as well, and it's become very special as well. Yeah, I, I so wholeheartedly. Like that. Yeah, I think one of the shining examples for me was always the Ramones. I, you know, love the Ramones music, but. You put on a Ramones live album, it's almost a totally different band. You know, yeah. it's ferocious live. You know, I think they got kind of watered down in the studio in some respects. So, uh, you know, all for it, uh, you know, different arrangements and things like that. So we look forward to seeing you, Phil. I appreciate your time. I don't want to keep you all night, but it's been a pleasure catching up with you, man. Thank you. It's pleasure for pleasure's been all mine. Thank you very much. Looking forward to seeing you at Jurgles in uh, in uh, in. Uh, all right, a big thank you to Phil Suzanne again. November thirteenth, Jurgles Rhythm Grill in Warrendale. Last in line will be there to do a show, and their new EP will be out on the eleventh, which includes a day in the life cover of the Beatles song, as well as some new and live material. So check that out. We'll have links on all of these guests on IronCityRocks.com. Invite you to check out the Trans Siberian Orchestra on the 17th of December. Also, Frank Bellow's EP is available now. Unfortunately, no Anthrax date for 2023 yet, as I mentioned, but if you're in the sound of my voice, uh, they're coming somewhere near you. Uh, seeing that, that Black Label Society Anthrax show ourselves firsthand, I uh, highly recommend you get out, check out that show. And if you want to catch pictures of that, if you go to ironcityrocks.com, we have complete photo coverage of that show. 
Uh, visit us on social media. Iron City Rocks is our username for everything. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, you name it. Also, ironcityrocks at gmail.com if you want to drop us a line, make a suggestion for guests, bands you'd love to hear from, types of music you've never heard on a show, let us know what you're into. Or just want to drop us a line and tell us what you like or don't like. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen. (laughs) 